0: Welcome back to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan. This is my beautiful daughter, Bethany, sitting next to me, and we are discussing a wonderful piece of literature by C.S. Jack Lewis, the author of so many great things, uh, and, uh. We are on chapter 11 of his book, The Great Divorce. This is episode 12 of our series on The Great Divorce book by C.S. Lewis. And uh, this week we're going to meet another one of those characters that our main character, our protagonist, which we figure is Jack, uh, meets in his trip to, well... Along the way to heaven would probably be a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is episode uh, episode's being recorded on May 5th, and it's 2020, and we're in the middle of coronavirus. Um, by the time you hear this, we'll be a little further down the road, but probably things will not have changed dramatically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We all pray that it will. Baby steps. Baby steps. This is definitely a time of moving from being mostly invisible and unable to stand the reality that we're walking towards. I'm trying to parallel this with the heaven of the great divorce. (laughs) Most of the characters who arrive on the bus in the outskirts of heaven have to first learn how to function in heaven physically, and they find that they have a Uh, uh, an ethereal quality they're really more specter or ghost or whatever than they are real Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and uh in order to move towards the center of heaven they've got to become more real and uh that doesn't come without pain so let's just say that moving towards reality that comes after COVID 19 is a little like that because i don't think it's going to be that much like the way things used to be and i'm not sure that's so bad personally Mm -hmm. But unlike everybody else, I'm getting tired of it.
1: My joy today was that I saw that the farmer's market is still going to happen this summer. Cool. So.
0: Yeah. It's but a, differently. It's an interesting dilemma we've got mm-hmm. because we can't kill the economy in order to keep people from dying of uh, the uh, coronavirus. But at the same time, we can't kill people in order to save the economy. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to... Trying to find a balance, you know, to, to keep people healthy, but not lose everybody's livelihood. So, Mm -hmm. well, all right. So in this chapter of The Great Divorce by Jack C.S. Lewis, we are going to meet a bright spirit who's having a conversation with a motherly ghost. Mm -hmm. Remember the ghosts are the ones who have made the bus ride from hell up to the outskirts of heaven and are being escorted by heavenly beings, bright spirits who are trying to help them make it to heaven all the way in. Mm -hmm. And this motherly ghost is still struggling with bitterness over her son's death. And that one, that encounter is immediately followed by a magnificent encounter between an angel an oily ghost, and a lizard. Mm -hmm. So, I love this quote from this chapter. No natural feelings are high or low, holy or unholy, in themselves. They are all holy when God's hand is on the rain. They all go bad when they set up on their own and make themselves into false gods. They all go bad when they set up on their own And make themselves into false gods. So as long as God's in charge, then your feelings are your feelings. So what are the circumstances surrounding the encounter between Pam, the motherly ghost, Mm -hmm. and her brother Reginald, the bright spirit?
1: She is a motherly ghost. Um, So her son died young. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that we get an actual age. Yeah, um, I don't think
0: it actually says, but you just get the impression that this child but was.
1: He was very, very dear to. Her. You get the sense it was a child just the way she talks about him. He was very, very dear to her.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and must have died pretty young, and so when she first gets to heaven and sees her brother, she's really disappointed because she expects that it will be Michael the son. And she kind of demands that Reginald make sure, like, make that happen. She wants to see her son. um, Because that's, like, basically her life has revolved around him, even after he's gone.
0: So, what does she have to do in order to see her son, Michael?
1: She she kind of has to give him up. Yeah. To see him. um, Because that's what's blocking her from moving further in because he's sort of he's almost become like an idol
0: yeah yeah i when i because i've been through this book a few times and and when i get to this one i always think now this one really hits close to home because because this is about a woman who lost her child Mm -hmm. and pretty much anybody with children will tell you that there's nothing that a parent fears more mm-hmm. than losing their child. And parents who have to lose a child who, who outlive their children go through a particular kind of grief. And so I'm very sympathetic towards her, but she has become, uh, like you said, she's become obsessed with her son mm-hmm. and she's, she's failed to live for God because she lives for the memory of her lost son.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. She irritably claims that she'll love God as long as this brings her back to Michael. Yeah. But Reginald points out that this way of thinking is no good. Loving God cannot be a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really good point. And I think there's an awful lot of people who go to church like that.
1: Yeah. It's almost like bargaining. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, I'll keep doing this. I'll, I'll be on the church council. I'll do this, this, and this as long as you keep making me prosperous. You keep me you know.
0: hmm You know.
1: Rather than thanking God for your prosperity.
0: You were very, very young when this happened. We were brand new in ministry as a family. And mm-hmm. I have been a pastor for all of a year or so when a very... Godly woman from the one of the churches I served on this two-point charge uh, had found out that her 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 child her 20 something year old son was was found dead on a beach in San Francisco and this was a woman I remember who lectured me often about how in church we should always say the Lord's prayer and we should always do the creed and 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 she just was a very devout church woman. Mm-hmm um and there's so many lessons in this story but i want to try to stay on point here i was out of town attending a school that was mandatory at the time that this happened and so i couldn't be there for her family and i was still new at this so i was really you know afraid that i was failing in some way as a pastor and so as soon as i got back in town i went to see her and of course the. Funeral's already happened, and everything's over, and and I'm trying to comfort her. And she looked at me, and she's angry. There's fire in her eyes. And she says, you don't understand any of this. I don't care to talk to you or anyone about this anymore, especially not related to church. So this woman's faith tanked. Mm -hmm. Now, I eventually learned that her son was gay. And she's a member of this little town, this mm-hmm. small town church. And she holds herself up as a very upright Christian woman. And, and that one of the reasons he moved to San Francisco was because he wanted to be somewhere where he felt he could be accepted. Mm-hmm. And uh, the circumstances around his death, I never did hear what happened. He drowned mm. and he was found on the beach. So San Francisco Bay, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but, but I don't know what happened to him. I don't know how he died, but I know that this woman basically did not want anything to do with me or the church. And she just withdrew completely. And then it wasn't that long after that, I was moved on to another church. I never did hear how that Mm -hmm. turned out, but that one is stuck in my craw Mm -hmm. for a long time. And I've just thought, you know, there are people out there, who are tempted to think that their life will go fine because God owes them that. Yeah. That they think that they're not going to have problems because they've given God, you know, exactly what they think God wants. And then when God doesn't prevent them from suffering pain, when God doesn't keep their child alive, uh, you know, and I think she had a real strong conviction that he died and went to hell. Mm -hmm. Which only made things worse for her. And, you know, it really is, like I said, I've thought about that for almost 25 years now, and I still think about it. And it's just like, you know, this woman lost her son. She's, she's, this woman, Pam, in our story, is grieving her son, and she still thinks God owes her something. And she's thinking that, that, You know, and I've wondered if this lady I was telling you about from this, you know, years ago, I've often wondered if she reached a point where she said to God, I'll bear this terrible thing because you owe me. Hmm. And so in a way, she's planning to go to heaven and receive something from God that she's earned because she bore the pain of her son's death and everything, you know. um, we. Well, I
1: think I would hope. That instead, you know, she went through that grieving time of pain and suffering, but it strengthened. I hope. I hope.
0: I hope. You know. You know that church isn't even open anymore.
1: Yeah.
0: So all the people who were attending there died off or or became unable to attend, and the building is now some sort of private dwelling. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting because I'm very sympathetic with this woman in this story. Oh, yeah. I really feel for her and I think, well, you know, we all go through that. But, but the end of the day, the thing that I think is pretty clear here is she has set up God in her own image that the problem people have in life is that they think they know what God is like and they build their whole lives around what they believe God is like. And that's not so bad if you approach it from one direction, but so many of us are conditioned to think that God is like us, that God is, you know, made in our image. And, and a lot of religion reinforces that idea. And, and so it's like the most important thing anyone can learn about God is, is that, they need to know who God really is. And the only thing you can do that's going to help you know who God really is, is to start by figuring out who God isn't Mm -hmm. and God isn't you. Mm -hmm. He's not me. That God isn't he, that God is the person of his own particular origin. and, 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 you know, but at the end of the day, if you don't know anything else about God, you've got to realize that God isn't you. Yeah. That just because you think something is unjust doesn't mean that God thinks it's unjust.
1: Well, and also that God's not another person. Like, like if we're going with the, the Pam. Yeah. I don't know if I think she set God up in her own image. I think she set God up in her son's image Yeah. because every single thing in her life, like her happiness, her life, like, like her actual physical life Everything is tied into that child. And yeah. so when she loses that child.
0: Well, and her like, identity as a mother. Yeah, and... like,
1: well, that is her identity. Period. End of story. It's mother. Yeah. Because she's wrapped everything up in him. So when she loses him, she has no identity. She has. She may not have hot. Like, no hobbies. No, like, there's nothing else. Which. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a good one. That's good. Um, So, what was Reginald's answer to Pam to her question about if God loved her, then why did God take Michael away?
1: Oh, yeah. Um,
0: How does Pam's motherly love violate God's command in Exodus 20, verses 1 to 6?
1: Well, Exodus 20 And Reginald does kind of say, and I'm not going to lie, I struggle a little with it. Yeah. Because he kind of says that God had to take Michael away from her for his sake and for her sake so that she wasn't just wrapped up in love for her child.
0: Yeah, that's a tough answer. I guess if you could think of it in terms of, the last woman we met on the last episode, um, the fact that her husband died before her was his blessing in a way, um, you know, because she was making him miserable. But I, what I heard as I was listening to the scripture you read was, and, and I don't know about Reginald Dancer, we'll let it stand on its own merit, but, but the one thing I heard pretty clearly is, is that. You put no gods before me and we have to really understand what I think we did we talk about this in the last episode or did we talk about it in this one? That the problem with grace is, is that we're all ready to receive it, but we're not receiving the complete package. We're not holding up both parts of the bargain. God is saying, I will forgive your debt. Your sin debt can be forgiven through my son Jesus. Mm-hmm all you have to do is repent and accept him as Lord of your life leader of your life. And, and that's the problem with idolatry. That's the problem with false gods is what she's done is she's made motherhood the Lord of her life. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And she's made Michael the object of worship, you know, Um, that's the problem. A false God has more control over your life than the Lord God, your creator. Yeah. And that's the problem. And I think that it's interesting that God places that commandment so high on the list because honestly, we wouldn't do a lot of the other things on the commandment list if we really understood who the absolute authority over our lives is supposed to be. Because most sin is about selfishness. Well, all sin is selfishness. But I mean, most of, the, most of the violation of commandments is based in the fact that you would covet your neighbor's things because somehow you thought you were more important than them. You would take another person's life because you thought you were more important than them. Well, as long as you think you're more important than any other pe- people on this planet, then you probably also don't think God is more important than you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the gist. So God's saying upright, first off. If you have a false God before me, don't even go past this point because all the other things are just further indications that you're more important than me. Mm-hmm. And I think when you try to interpret Reginald's answer, the one thing you could say is, is that God isn't commanding you to have God above all other gods in your life. The, the, the Lord God, Yahweh, is he's not saying I'm most important for his vanity. He's saying it because it's for our own good. If he can be the object of our, uh, religion, I, if he's the one we're the most devoted to and glorifying that God and serving that God is more important than our selfish desires, then we will be better.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's not like God is saying, I want you to focus on, me. it's kind of like me saying to you, I'm trying to help you. F-, you know, I, I picture one of those, uh, those, uh, Uh, movies where where you have to walk across a narrow board to get across a burning abyss, and I'm standing on my side trying to get you to come to me, and I'm saying, just look at me, just look at me. Don't look at anything else, just look at me. Don't look down, don't look left, don't look right, look at me. Just keep your focus on me. I really believe that's what God is saying in love. He's saying, in order to save you, I want you to keep your eyes on me. Look at me. Look at me. Don't look at anything else. Just look at me
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you'll be f- saved. You know, that, that's how I interpret it. Mm-hmm. So Pam's obsession with her son all allows her grief to consume her, even to the extent of keeping the room the same, mm-hmm. ignoring the rest of her family and choosing to live in the past and not letting go. Excuse me. Have you witnessed examples of this in your own life?
1: Probably. I'm trying to think of some examples, but I think that definitely there are people who do that.
0: Yeah. You know what I think is maybe a a lesser example, but a more common one is just people who resist change. Mm -hmm. In church, you're constantly running into people who would rather you not change things up. If you say we're going to move the offering from the middle of the service as though that's halftime, to the end of the service so that it becomes a response to the compelling message of God's word, you're going to have people who are going to say, I don't care how much sense that makes. That's change and I don't want it. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And, and so sometimes I think it's easier to imagine not so much a person who's lost a loved one and leaves their room like it's a shrine. It's more of a denial that change has occurred. People don't like change, and sometimes the easiest way to resist change is to fight against those things that you think you have control over, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's the best way to avoid pain. So let's take a couple of, uh, delve into a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. And she basically is saying to Reginald, you know, that he thinks she believes that he thinks that she didn't love them enough, you know, love her brother and her mother, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: And, and so she's trying to assign, oh, is this ever a human problem that drives me out of my mind is people who are sure they know what your motives are. Yeah. Yeah. People who assess what you say and what they see you doing, and they don't evaluate the the outcome. They don't evaluate the words that come out of your mouth. They don't evaluate the the deeds you you do. They evaluate what they think is in your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why I've always had a problem with the concept of hate crimes, um, because somehow it's a more vicious form of vandalism if there's hatred associated with it. And we're going to assume that we know which types of vandalism are hate driven and which type of vandalism is you know driven by something else. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to see anybody doing hurtful things to other people because they don't value those other people. That's the whole law of oppression. But my point is is that we can't know what's in a person's heart we can't really know what manipulates them and what reginald says to her is is nobody can know that especially not here Mm -hmm. because here that doesn't matter Mm -hmm. that's not even a that's not that doesn't even come up on the radar uh i'm gonna push ahead of here a little bit um So, I'm jumping here to, so McDonald, you know, who is is, uh, Lewis's spirit guide that's helping him find his way to heaven. Mm -hmm. He, he, uh, uh, are moving away from the brother and the sister. Mm -hmm. And McDonald quotes Luke chapter 18, verse 19, when he says, There is but one good that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him. And bad when it turns from him. So, how can the good feelings of motherly love, uh, sexual love, tolerance, patriotism, work ethic, commitment, family, intellect, etc., how can they be corrupted to become bad feelings? Well, we kind of covered that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of goes back to some things that Lewis talks about in *Mere Christianity*, where like you nothing you can't really call anything good or bad except that they if they come from God, like things that come from God are good. Mm-hmm. Because he is good. Um but the more we pull them into ourselves and
0: It's like when Jesus says it doesn't matter what you put in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like we've we yeah. We've corrupted them basically because they've become like if like well, I, the patriotism one is interesting. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we, I've, like, I've had a rant about that for a while.
1: Patriotism is not a bad thing, but to a certain extent, we've made it a bad thing because we've honestly made it like a stumbling block for ourselves.
0: We've cheapened it.
1: On the way to God. Yeah. Um, and we've done that with a lot of different things. Like, we just talked about the motherly love thing and how that became a block for her. But, yeah, I think, like, they're inherently good because they come from God, but... We've, we've, um, like, stained them.
0: Yeah. That's good. Speaking of stains... Yeah. Describe the dark, oily ghost and his pet.
1: He's dark and oily. <laughs> <laughs> um, And, yeah, he has a little red lizard sitting on his shoulder, which just makes me think of, like, every... Looney Tune cartoon ever Yeah. where they've got the angel and the devil on their shoulder talking in their ear because this blizzard is described as sitting there whispering in the ghost's ear. Um, So, and the ghost thinks he has control over it. Yeah. He really doesn't. Yeah. And it's supposed... Yeah, this one's almost...
0: It's really funny. (laughs) Yeah. It's typically C.S. Lewis funny, you know, because Jack... Jack has that sort of uh, droll, sort of, you know, dry wit. It's Mm -hmm. very funny, but sometimes you don't realize how funny it is because the delivery is so soft. Yeah. And this is pretty funny. So as this ghost begins to head back to the bus, he's approached by not just a spirit guide, but an angel. Yeah. Emitting light and heat at the same time. What is the offer that the angel makes to the ghost, and what must the ghost do to receive the offer?
1: He offers to kill the lizard. Yeah. And he says that he can kill it. Um. And the ghost is kind of like, I. Uh, he sort of doesn't like. Well, yeah. Like the angel's like, do you want me to? get him to shut up for you and the guy's like yeah that'd be great and he's like well i can kill him and he's like oh well no
0: yeah <laughs> um i i think this is as close as we get to an answer that uh, to a question i asked again i can't remember if it was this episode or the previous one but, but i was talking about in in the case of people who you know, haven't really had a fair break in life. They've been mistreated and abused. They've had, there's a lot of reasons why they're messed up. And God has to take that into account. And so when they are standing before God at judgment time, or as they go to heaven, you know, Mm -hmm. because remember I said, it was the last episode I was talking about how I wonder what happens if, why doesn't Lewis describe somebody who makes it? Or who could make it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think, well, number one, Lewis is the guy who could make it, mm-hmm. who does. I guess. But here's a perfect example, is, is the angel, it not only is it a ghost or, or a spirit that's coming to help him find his way to heaven, but he's got a burden that is so big that no amount of persuasion on the part of a friend is going to change that. And this angel shows up and the angel says, this is a big job. And I'm ready to do it.
2: Yeah.
0: And this man can go to heaven.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He can be free and go to heaven because his angel's ready to dispose of this problem. So basically that burden you carry
2: mm-hmm.
0: that affected, you know, and, and that's where you have to decide. Do I let go of this? Yeah. I, I mean, get the
1: sense. When I read it the first time, I got the sense that the, that it is, the lizard is like, Possibly representative of some kind of addiction or something. Yeah, that has just like literally been a plague. Like, and and yeah. yeah, that goes with what you're saying. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things that lead to sins against society, sins against each other. You know, um, and when we get to heaven, where we should encounter, where I know we're going to encounter perfect justice. I think, you know, all that's going to be taken into account. Um, But it still comes down to us making a decision whether we eat from the tree of life. You know, it still comes down to Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. They were given the opportunity. Okay, so I'm going to race right along here because this is... uh, uh, This chapter is a little longer. It is a longer chapter. Chapter. Uh, why do we as Christians, who know right from wrong, continue to keep lust or any pet sin? And how does Paul describe his frustration of dealing with sin in Romans 7 14 to 20? And what is his conclusion in Romans 7 24 to 25? Scripture time.
1: 24
0: and 25. Yeah. Well, 14 to 20 and then 24 and 25. Okay.
1: We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. It's a lot of do's. <laughs> what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin.
0: Okay. So, basically what he's saying is is that, you know, we are either slaves to sin and death, or we make ourselves slaves to God, to the Lord, you know. And better to be the Lord's slave and have the sin forgiven. I've always thought of it this way. Sin has sort of momentum that it's created in your life. And it starts from the moment you're conceived because of natural sin. And when you finally have the power of sin canceled out, you've cut the engine, but you're still coasting. And I guess you can coast a long way, (laughs) you know, that, (coughs) that, that, you know, it's going to require... Uh, constant effort to stop doing the things you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So the lizard is sensing danger. He's realizing that this angel is on the verge of killing him yeah. and that the angel can do it. And so how, you know, uh, Hebrews three thirteen says, basically, how can we guard ourselves against being deceived? Cause this, this lizard starts whispering in his ear, you know, like, what are you going to be without me? You Mm -hmm. can't make it without Mm me.
1: So Hebrews says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Yeah. Well, I also love that the angel is super persistent, but it can't do anything unless he says do it. Right. Um, But the angel's super persistent and just keeps saying, do you want me to kill it? And finally, like, cause this one does have a happy ending. Yeah, it does. Um, but finally he's like, yes, do it. And I, there's a line that I really like that I think is super important. Um, where he's like, you're burning me just by being near me. And the angel says like, I didn't say it's not going to hurt, but it's not going to kill you. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think is really important. You know, like we're talking, we're, we're revisiting revelation on Wednesday nights. Yes. And you know, regular listeners know that I have a really deep affection for the church at Smyrna based on our last study. And part of my affection for the church at Smyrna is that they, they get the perfect report card, but they don't get off scot free. Like they,
0: (laughs) they get a perfect report card in part because they're suffering.
1: Yeah. And, but they even get told they're going to keep suffering. And that's sort of part of, part of faith.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so I think that the angel's saying, "This is gonna hurt, yeah, but you're gonna be glad it happened." And the guy finally, like, through all of the horror, like the awfulness of it, he, like, the angel says, "Well, if it did kill you, would that be so bad?" And the guy's like, "You're right,
2: yeah,
1: death would be better than living with this, yeah." And as soon as he submits and says, "God help me," yeah, death would be better. That's when things start to work out for him
0: you have settled this matter rather well so let's just look at scripture to verify the points that have been so astutely made okay Romans
1: 10:13 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved
0: second Corinthians 3:18.
1: And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is in who is the Spirit.
0: So the bottom line is if you want to get rid of the red lizard, mm-hmm. if you want to get rid of that thing that has always had more control over you than God, you have to be willing to submit yourself to God and suffer the pain of being separated from that thing. Mm -hmm. And if it's an addiction, then there's going to be withdrawal. If there is some other obsession or delusion that has caused you nothing but pain in life, but you don't feel like you can do anything about it, you have to give it over to God and then be willing to suffer in order to see it come to an end. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I suppose... Some of these battles won't end until we're in heaven, and an angel can pluck that sucker right off. I only hope that we have the courage to say, please do. I'd rather endure the pain of having this taken away from me once and for all than to live with it for all eternity or or take it to hell with me.
1: And look what happens. The lizard turns into this, like, stallion to into a beautiful stallion yeah the oily dark smudge of a ghost turns into one of those bright spirits jumps on the horse and literally rides off into the sunset in heaven
0: pretty good stuff Mm -hmm. yeah i hope you all are enjoying this book more now that we're helping you interpret it um not because we're so special but it's a book that if you can if you can just think it through like we're doing with you has so much to say about life and death. And, and Lewis tells us this is not a book about heaven. He's not, he didn't want you to think this is what it's really going to be like, but I don't think he's that far off. Um, you know, I really don't. And, uh, Bethany's grandfather, my father passed away since the last time we recorded a couple of these. Mm -hmm. And I remember, because of the episode we recorded before he died, I even said to people, you know, the thing I know is is my dad's still on a journey of personal growth. My dad had some stuff that had hindered him in certain ways throughout his life. And I realized that the moment he entered into paradise, he had a chance to put that stuff behind him. But he's still growing. He's still becoming He's still on the journey of sanctification. He's now free of the things that he couldn't get free of in the flesh.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's a promise and a hope that this book has given me, and I'm grateful for it. Not only for my dad, but for myself and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, friends, I hope you've been blessed by this episode. It is a real honor to have you listening. We'd love to hear from you. Please write us. Drop us a note. You can go on Facebook to look for Shiloh Church in Jasper, Indiana. You can find us on the Internet at shilohjasper.org, S-H-I-L-O-H-J-A-S-P-E-R.org. And you can find our app in the App Store. Just look for Shiloh Jasper because there are other Shilohs out there. And um, you can always just uh, drop us a good old-fashioned email or send us a a snail mail. Just find the information online. Um, We've got quite a presence online nowadays, like everybody else who's trying to do church from someplace other than the building. Mm -hmm. And so we'd be glad to meet you and get to know you there. For now, I just want to thank you again and wish you God's blessings until next time. Goodbye.
2: Bye.